This is On and Off Your Mat podcast episode 64, Sanctuary Meditation and Yoga Nidra. For this episode, I sat down with yoga rupa Rod Stryker. Rod is a world-renowned yoga and meditation teacher, guiding and sharing his wisdom for the last 40 years. He is the founder of Para Yoga and the author of The Four Desire, Creating a Life of Purpose, Happiness, Prosperity, and Freedom. He is the creator of one of the most comprehensive online yoga training in the world, and most recently, the app Sanctuary, a premium destination for all levels of those wanting to experience the life-changing practices of meditation and yoga nidra. Rod has dedicated his life to improving life of others through lectures, writing, practice, teaching, leadership, service, and family life. As always, on my end, I really appreciate your support with this podcast. Get access to extra content, exclusive episode, tutorial, meditation, Zoom classes, and so much more as you become a premium member. Know that you can make a big difference even with a small donation to help me cover production costs and allow me to continue to offer this podcast. So if you'd like to get access to all of this content or just show your support, please visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat and become a premium VIP member. Last thing before we get to today's episode, I want to remind you about my upcoming India yoga retreat. You have until the end of the month to sign up and take advantage of our promo code COVID to save $255. I know times have been hard for many of you, so hopefully this helps a little bit. And if you want to know more or you want to reserve your spot, go to my website, ericabelanger.com or send me an email, erica.belanger at gmail.com. All right, ready? Let's get to our episode of today with Rod Stryker. Hi, Rod. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad to be with you. Thank you. So, Rod, for listeners that don't know you very well, can we start with you telling us a bit about yourself and your yoga journey? Oh, okay. Just <laughs> Small question to start with. That doesn't, doesn't take very long. I don't want to take up the bulk of our conversation about my background. Just an intro. Simple is uh, I began, I was a psychology and philosophy major in, in college, so it should be a hint as to where my leanings were early in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I left college my junior year, discovered yoga. Um, I would say maybe the third or fourth pose I did, I felt like I had embodied all that philosophy and psychology, I was hoping to learn from philosophy and psychology and almost immediately began to feel that I had touched kind of what I was looking for, mm. you know, for the first 17, 18, 19 years of my life. Uh, I then spent the next couple of years practicing more or less on my own, discovered Kundalini Yoga. And then in 1980, uh, I met the man who would be my first teacher, who was a, a real master of yoga and understood not just yoga as in asana, but really uh, a master of tantra yoga, which we would offer. I would offer the tantra was the, is the genesis of asana and posture, and but learning and seeing it as an energetic phenomenon, a way to work with the body to affect the mind, affect the flow of energy. Um, that ultimately allows us to access our soul or spirit, and with a particular focus that it's not. Um, meant to be something that's disclusive or separate from life, that they interface, that success in practice really means worldly fulfillment as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. and vice versa. And um, I spent about 17 years studying with him and um, he was a South African yoga master, uh, South African yoga master and 
that was a great gift and set me on my journey. And then about 20, a little more than 20 years ago, well, he passed away about 22 years ago and about 20 years ago, I found my uh, teacher who's been my mentor and master for less, as I say, about 20, 20 years or so. And um, uh, it, it was really just a very seamless continuum between what I learned in my first, uh, from my first teacher and this teacher. And, and uh, you know, along the way, um, teaching, I started teaching in, in 1980, six months, eight months after meeting my first teacher. And I was really intrigued by this idea of um, where yoga practice and life met and the idea that it wasn't just practicing in a vacuum and, um, and, uh, and that really intrigued me. And over the years, there were different ways to express uh, my own journey and how it was enriching me, including teaching and writing and, and, uh, and using my voice and developing teacher trainings and all sorts of things. So it's been a rich and very journey these 40 years and brings us up to today. Mm-hmm. More or less. Yeah. More or less. <laughs> so you created this practice called para yoga. Do you find that what is particular or unique about that is your influence in Tantra and your desire to bring that intersection between the practice on the mat and our lives together? Or am I? Yeah, it's a good way to put it. It's a really good way to put it. You know, my teachers were, uh, first one was South African, as I said, she was Western. And my second one was Indian. And, you know, my, 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 um, and the Indian model for teaching is, is not as didactic and linear mm-hmm. as, as Westerners lean into. You know? And I began, ultimately, I tried to begin to decode how I had been transformed. Like, what is it my teachers were teaching it, teaching me? And so I began to really just kind of create, um, to analyze what was the, what was happening. Well, I, first thing I realized is they were effectively teaching from two, or excuse me, three streams of knowledge. One is Ayurveda, two is yoga, classical yoga, and three is Tantra. And then begin to look at, well, how could, and what does it re- really require on the part of the teacher and then on the journey of the student to embody yoga and to help ensure that it does uh, touch all aspects of their life. And that very much was the, I guess, the intention, the vision, if you will, behind what Para Yoga, you know, what Para Yoga was and would be. And so, yes, Para Yoga is very much the expression of uh, uh, my intention to, to empower teachers to share that same knowledge and at the same time also for students, what they need to know and practice, as it were, to, to be able to make that happen. Mm-hmm. From breaking down your own experience of the practice itself. That's right. Yeah. You okay. know, and, and, and also, though, you know, it's supported by the critical, say, scriptures or texts that bring that to life. You know, one of the things that one of the challenges we face as students of yoga or anything ancient is the moment it starts sounding mysterious, it starts almost having a certain um people get a little excited because it's ancient, but you don't know if the teacher's actually interpreting it correctly and, or they're just going off on their own, or are they even drawing from anything that has any basis in scripture? And so the teaching is really interesting around that. It says, you know, for something to actually have authority, 
one, it has to be validated in your own experience. So that's already a litmus test for students to go, is what the teacher is teaching, does, that, does it elevate me mm-hmm. in a way that actually has significant uh, or positive repercussions outside of what I'm actually doing? Okay, I feel high or good or different when I do it, but is my life changing? Am I changing? Are the people who I'm attracted to um, shifting? Is that, am I evolving? You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The second thing, it has to be validated in scriptures. In other words, a teacher could be really off the wall, generate experiences that because they either get you high or they do something that's different than our normal life, you go, wow, that's really great. But is it, does it have any validation in anything there? The other thing then, it has to be, it, you know, they speak to the necessity of having uh, uh, experience that the scriptural knowledge through someone who themselves has been changed by it. You know, you need a teacher as such. And I know that's not so, um, there's, a, there's a lot of resistance to that now more than ever. And there's valid reasons for that, but it's also kind of a, a kind of cultural shift away from hierarchy. And, you know, and I would just caution people not to throw, what do they say, the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Be circumspect around teachers and, and hierarchy and, you know, those things. But in the end, you kind of got to think about the moment someone stands in front of you and leads you, that's hierarchical. Now, are they a page? Is it is informed by patriarchy? Is it kind of this idea to keep people down? You know, I never experienced that with my teachers. And I hope that I, you know, it's my intention that I would never do that to students. In fact, one of my favorite ideas around what the role of a teacher is, is to make themselves obsolete. Mm. In other words, to empower their students to such a point that can actually at some point will walk away from the teacher mm-hmm. and stand in their own wisdom and stand in their own capacities. So scriptural uh, validation, experience, your own personal experiential validation, and then to see it embodied by someone who then can explain it. And I would offer that those three things are really critical. And Mm -hmm. I received those three things. And then I tried the best I could to transmit, as as we already said, to transmit par yoga as something that has those three uh, kind of stamps of validation or authority to say, here's something that's time tested. I got it from my teacher. And, um, and if it, works in your experience, then I, then I trust uh, we're doing something good together. Mm-hmm. And within that traditional yoga, um, you're putting a lot of emphasis on meditation, which I assume is part an, of an important part of your own practice as well. And you just launched a new meditation app called Sanctuary. So congrats mm-hmm. on that. That's pretty new, I think. Why did you choose to go that route with the meditation app on your own and using that as a way to share and to inspire people to practice more? Um, well, in the end, let's talk about meditation first. And and in the end, um, whereas Western, the the growth of yoga in the West has really been through the body. Yeah. Primarily through the body. If you were interested in meditation, you probably sought out either TM or Buddhism, you know, something like that, because my gosh, for the last 20, 30 years, yoga's popularity exploded because we were getting into our bodies and moving and maybe doing some breathing while we're moving. But what you, what you learn after you've done this for a little while is that, you know, even if you can get your leg behind your head, which I don't think is necessarily an important goal. Yeah. uh, It doesn't in any way guarantee you'll be happy. 
uh, I mean, sooner or later, you'll have to take your leg off of the back of your neck and go live your life. Mm -hmm. um, and so whether you can do headstand or not, it's ultimately about your mind. You know, ultimately, what determines the quality of your life is the quality of your perception of life and the depth of your own self-awareness. Now, that's starting to sound like meditation. And that if it is starting to sound like meditation, then I'm really starting to, to, to suggest that yoga is about the mind more than it is about the body. Mm -hmm. And the body can be a, let's tool. say, a point of leverage mm -hmm. tool. Mm -hmm. But it's not the end. The end is the, the, the refinement in the quality of your perception, period. So it's a meditation tool. So I, it has been the centerpiece of my practice, although, you know, for these 40 years or plus, I've, I've done yoga, asana almost every single day. Mm -hmm. my, my daughter, my daughter last night, about 12 years old, said to me, Daddy, are you, are you committed to, do, to yoga? <laughs> I was putting my mat out and I said, yes, honey, that's why I do it every single day. She says, but you're, are you committed to doing it for the rest of your life? And, and I, as she asked me uh, that question, cause you know what, it takes up a couple hours of every morning um, at least. And, uh, and as she asked the question, I just saw myself, whether I'm 80 or 90 or a hundred, right, right at the edge of the end of my life still doing my two to three hours every morning and without, without question. But the, the, uh, where I was tracking with this was the idea of wanting to encourage people to meditate, wanting to support them in the process. And, you know, a few years ago, a, stu a student of mine pointed out, cause we had some, I had done some meditation CDs and there were some other things, meditation classes online. And she, she looked at me a little cynically. And she said, you know, that's really old school stuff. Said, it's all about apps. You got to do apps, apps. And she said it and it just, it just clicked in my mind. And I realized, look, everyone, I don't, my phone is turned, but everyone has one of these damn things, you know? Mm -hmm. And why not use that as a medium to get people to, um, tap in, you know, to turn away from the world and to tap in to these inner resources. And it was really just, I felt like, okay, this could be really valuable use of the technology and uh, provide the accessibility. It's kind of been, you know, it felt pretty quickly that I was doing uh, something that I was, oddly enough, I, I, that I was, that the time and my intention, the time being the current day, the technology and my intention to provide tools to improve people's lives and health, maybe it, it was like the perfect convergence. And so, um, you know, right. It, it's, it's actually been quite a gift. You know, mm. there's people of all levels can get on there and do five minutes or you mm -hmm. can do 45 minutes and um, dial into practices that focus on, you know, I go into some detail here, some healing practices, peace-oriented practices, empowerment practices, or spirit kind of based practices. And then, you know, sharing what I learned. And I've been asked, did you make any of these up or are these, did you get these from the, your teachers? And I, and I say, you know, I've not made a single one up. They were all, they're all traditional. They all come from a resource, mm. time-tested resource. So, yeah, so it's been a it's been a, a real pleasure to share it and uh, to watch its growth and support and 
Well, it's, uh, it's, it's fun in this day and age. And I think, you know, it is my new, my new tagline is now more than ever. And the idea is, you know, That's we've always struggled, we've always struggled with fear. We've always struggled with restlessness. We've always struggled with distraction. That's just how the mind works. Now more than ever, we need solutions. Mm-hmm. One of the things you offer on that app is yoga nidra or enlightened mm-hmm. sleep, you call, or I've heard also yogic sleep in the past. Uh, yeah. For people that don't know what that is, can you explain a little bit what it is and what are its different aims and how that affects the structure that you use to deliver that practice? You know, I, I had nidra. the fortune of first encountering yoga nidra in, in like 1980, 81. And um, my teacher would lead us through these kind of very, I don't even, I, at the time, I didn't even know what was happening to me, but I knew something was happening. Yeah. So you would lie down or even he taught them occasionally sitting, but you could lie down and just all of this extraordinary journey and uh, that slowly, but piece by piece, you would be led into deeper levels of relaxation And then ultimately into this state that is referred to in the scriptures as yoga nidra. What is yoga nidra? It means yoga, literally means yogic sleep or sleep with awareness. And what is that? I mean, we all go to sleep, but we don't always abide in aware sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, And the distinction is that this is a state that is the convergence of meditation and sleep. Your body is fundamentally asleep. And that could be measured in EEG, EKG. You're in a delta pattern, ideally. You're, uh, so your brain is in the quietest, most relaxed, deepest state of sleep, equivalent to what scientists would call non-REM or uh, non-REM stage three deep sleep. But there's just this thread of being conscious, and all distinctions effectively have vanished. And so at that point, you rest in really sublime, sublime sleep or enlightened sleep is what I'm what I call it. In 1980 or even and I didn't even really start teaching it for about 10 years. I kind of went back and suddenly got inspired and started teaching it. And uh, students responded to it like it's it, because it just feels so good. It does. You know, it's magical. So good. <laughs> And you just lie down. And as I said, you know, the worst that can happen is you fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the intention is to hover in the sublime sleep. But in case you just go to normal sleep, it's already a really good nap. You probably need it if you go there. You you can't stay awake. You have permission to fall asleep. Totally. Yeah. But so it's not a total loss. And, you know, I mean, there's some interesting studies around this. And I'm doing a lot of research because I'm writing a book about it. Uh, so, you know, NASA figured out that if you, NASA figured out that if you sleep, if you take a 20, you take a 20, 25 minute nap, it improves your cognition by like 35% overall, like overall ability to complete tasks by like over 50%. So they actually encourage, they encourage astronauts to take naps before they do stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Google figured that out. Now you go to, you work for Google. You, they're actually sleep pods, right? They want you to take a nap before you try and innovate something new. Mm-hmm. Um, so the worst that happens is you're going to not only be physically rested, but your mind's going to work more effectively. But what's happened now in, in its popularity over the last, um, let's say, decade 
when I started teaching in the nineties, I can tell you that even in the late nineties, it was only like maybe three or four people in the United States teaching it. And now it's become super popular. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of times when things get popular, something will get lost or there'll be a lack of clarity that gets handed down. It's kind of like the, you know, the spiritual version of the telephone game. Um, and, uh, you know, every, every generation kind of, maybe there's a loss. And so what I would argue is that a lot of the time now, uh, um, uh, yoga nidra, because of some of the more popular versions of it, there's this very specific template of things that you do. And you're even told that if you follow this, if you fall asleep while you're hearing the, the dictates of the narrative, it's the same as if you were awake. Mm -hmm. That's, that's counter to what I learned. Mm. This sublime sleep recalibrates us and recalibrates our perception of ourselves. Yoga Nidra is both a practice, so in a way it doesn't matter what you do, but it's a state of consciousness. If you don't get to the state of consciousness, then you're only doing the practice, you're not experiencing the state. A bit like yoga in general. Yoga is a state, yoga is a practice, but it's also a state that, you know, it's not because you're doing asana that you're necessarily doing yoga. (laughs) Exactly. And in fact, you can do yoga and not experience the state. You can experience the state and not do awesome. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in that sense, and so what I, what I learned and what I share on, on the app, for example, and the style we teach and that I empower teachers to teach is um, this idea that uh, around the steps that really ultimately get you to the state and, and the steps are really, again, just, tools that we get there. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's yoga nidra in a nutshell. I, I think that we live in a time where stress is so prevalent and insomnia and anxiety and depression and drug addiction and suicide. Those numbers have never been higher. Mm. I think the truth, you know, if I were to be very honest about this, I think to find the peace that so many people are struggling to find these days, certainly meditation is of meditation is ultimately where we want to go. But it may, because people, it, because there's such pervasive stress, yoga nidra may be a more accessible way for a lot of people to get to that same place. Mm-hmm. It's the intersection of sleep and meditation, whereas meditation is obviously just meditation, but meditation you have to sit. It's you get there through concentration, whereas in yoga nidra, you get there through relaxation. Yeah. Um, so there, there are some meaningful distinctions, but ultimately um, both and both are incredibly valuable. But it may be that yoga nidra will be what introduces more people to the what they're really desperately looking for now mm-hmm. more than ever. Mm-hmm. It's so much and, more accessible. Right. Um, yeah. Exactly. So you also have the Enlightened Life course and the book, The Four Desires, um, which I love. I have the book and the workbook and I've worked with those. Both of those projects, just like you were mentioning before, are really about your dedication to help people create a more purposeful, glorious life for themselves, I guess, mm-hmm. in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where do we start if we are craving for that fuller, happier life? <sighs> well, <laughs> where we start is what I would offer is where you start is you start really turning to what we just spoke about, which is 
we start with a quiet, we start with the intention to get more quiet and more at peace. You know, uh, my teachers, there's certain statements that I probably heard 50 or 100, if not 300, 400 times. And one of them was simple. One of them was an undisciplined mind is unfit for any path. Mm. And, and the saying, what that really means is it doesn't matter if I'm writing a letter or, or talking to my children or um, standing in front of a group of people and teaching or being in front of my teacher and listening to them. If my mind, if I'm distracted and, or my mind is incapable of, of, um, of Presence. Uh, being still, then nothing can be, nothing is effective. So I would argue where we start is we get still. And then in terms of this, uh, having a more fulfilled life, we then, with the advantage of being more still, more at peace, we have to at some point begin to ask ourselves the big questions, you know, and they almost sound like stereotypes, like what's the meaning of my life? What's the purpose of my life? And, you know, for that, I'll borrow from scripture, I'll borrow from the Bhagavad Gita, which I do in the book, liberally. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll say that, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing in life or, and even your level of success in life. If you're not fulfilling a sense of purpose mm-hmm. of why you're here, you can't be happy. Yeah. And the book goes even further and it says that it's better to do your purpose badly than someone else's really well. Meaning that there's a unique purpose for each of us, that we're basically an instrument in the symphony of creation. And if we're not playing our instrument, two things happen. One is that we will feel a certain loss for not having done what we were here to do. Mm-hmm not doing, not being what we, who we are meant to be, but also creation will suffer from us not playing our part in this symphony. It's like we create a dissonance. We're in dissonance. Exactly. We're Uh in dissonance from ourselves and we're in dissonance from a collective. Um, And, uh, and as a result, it doesn't matter how much money's in the bank or your lover or partners may be, or, uh, you know, whether it's work partners or intimate partners or, how, you know, whether your kids are getting straight A's in school or dropping out of school or whatever, the reality is that uh, being guided by a purpose is key. So I've, I've, you know, I've spoken to two points about having more fulfilled life. Number one is being more at peace, but even peace is not meant to just be about passivity. But what peace gets us in touch with is, is this innate urge to fully become what we are uniquely meant to become. Mm. And, uh, you know, the challenge that human beings face is that we have so many discordant voices. So a tulip has it fairly easy. A tulip bulb is going to become a tulip. And that, and it doesn't really have any discordant voices going, well, maybe I'll be a rose. It doesn't have many choices. <laughs> no, it doesn't have a lot of choices. It does its thing and hopefully it does, you know, and hopefully it has a chance to thrive and then it does its thing beautifully. But even if it doesn't have the opportunity to really thrive, it'll still do everything it can to have been that tulip. And same with a tiger cub or whatever, it, it's, it's going to be a tiger cub and, and it's going to become its next grown up version of a tiger, ideally. But human beings, man, we got a lot of voices in our heads. We got our parents, we got our society. Mm. 
We got all these other voices. And the challenge is, is finding that unique or authentic direction that lies in our own hearts. And, and that if we do follow it, it's ultimately the greatest fulfillment, independent of what's happening on the outside. Mm-hmm. What I, you know, to further make this case, what I tell people sometimes is you cannot always guarantee the outcome of your efforts. You can never guarantee the outcome <laughs> of your efforts. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have a bowl next to me. I think if I drop it, chances are good it's going to break. <laughs> okay, fair not enough. A lot. Yeah. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. You're right. Not, not a lot of outcomes can you guarantee. But the point being that the one thing that you do have the most control over is choosing to live your purpose once you know it. So how do you uncover it if you have no idea? How do you decide what are you are meant to become? Like, this is such a big question for people. They're like, I don't even have a passion or I don't know, you know, yeah. the basics. That's why, they get, that's why they get the workbook and the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a process. To be frank, it's a process. Yeah. And um Uh, And even, you know, even after writing the book, uh, after having taught it for 12, 15 years, um, I then write the book and then I realized, well, you know, I like the book a lot. It's over 300 pages, but I really want it to be process driven. The book is, the book has those milestones in the process, but I went, oh man, I just want to strip it bare, go to the workbook so that people know how to use the book. And the, the, the truth is that we have to begin to ask ourselves some critical questions that to me aren't, you're not trying to fill in, oh my God, what's my purpose? Instead, what you do is you get, there are cl- ways to kind of look at the clues along the way. Mm-hmm. There have been clues in everyone's life already. So for example, one of the clues, so I'll just give it, kind of take it out of the abstract. One of the things that I ask people to do is consider to reflect on even lead them a little bit into a meditative state of mind prior to doing it to then reflect on a time in their life where things weren't perfect, but that they felt as though they were fulfilling the potential in the moment. And so it doesn't mean like, Oh, what was the grooviest, greatest, perfect atmosphere, have all the right people. I'm skiing down the a mountain and it's deep powder and I'm ecstatic. No. When were you actually putting up with a bunch of crap and thriving or you were facing the biggest challenges in your life because if you want to know when your purpose is revealed to you it's actually in your moments uh when you're you're growing when you're actually being forced to break patterning that some teachings around karma would actually say is your nature so here's like your default way of being mm-hmm. and once in a while and this is why the Vedas actually say that the greatest heroism is to overcome your nature. It's like, when do you push through the default way of being and suddenly find this amazing blossoming that it's just catapulting you out of the, you know, your old comfort levels, even if your old comfort levels were kind of unsatisfying. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways you know it's your purpose is you go, okay, you recognize a time in your life where you were on, you were just manifesting you in the most complete way, despite the circumstances. You look at, also you begin to acknowledge the kind of um, uh, uh, lessons or themes in your life that you keep coming back to that feel like, oh, 
man, I thought I was done learning that lesson. Here it is again. Well, if you turn it inside out or you kind of take it apart, you'll go, oh, there you can recognize that there's a pattern there that my part of now I'm stepping into more yoga philosophy. Part of why I'm here is to break that pattern. So it's not just about, oh, I feel like the master of my universe and that's when I'm and everything's just rosy. That's my purpose. That's actually a, a kind of myth, mythologizing around this. Mm. Living your purpose is often like gritty, challenging. Uh, uh, you know, I, one word that comes to mind is redemptive. It's like there's a moment of redemption where you go, you grab hold of the very thing that is victory over what comes easy. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, that heroism, heroism, if you will, is the ultimate self-nurturance. Because it's the, it's the ultimate kind of sense of holding yourself in the highest regard and going, there's something deep and authentic inside of me that, wants to, that really wants to be uh, nurtured to the point that it can bloom in this life. Mm. And I will, no longer, I will no longer pay the price of ignoring it. And uh, so it, it's both heroic but it's also a, a great, and maybe I would say, maybe the biggest act of self-care that that we can commit to. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And then as we uh, overcome our nature, or as we're trying, like the steps to overcome our nature or to shape our destiny is really day-to-day little commitments that add on. Yeah, abs- yeah absolutely. Um, y- you know... I recently heard, I recently um, w- w- was reflecting on, uh, you know, the, the times that we're living in and, uh, you know, it's really easy to get overwhelmed. But the truth is that most of us live life in such a way that we don't actually have a, a, a kind of um, fluid relationship to what it takes live, to live day to day through the small things. And because the small things actually are consistently stressful, that when the big things come, it's overwhelming. Yeah. We see the overwhelm in the big things, but we don't always acknowledge the value of learning how to best relate to the small things. And one of the things that a life purpose, understanding your life purpose, your dharmas, you know, the Sanskrit terminology for that does, is it is it's a pointing toward how to deal with the small things, not just the big things. And when you begin to stack up enough experiences or times where you've made the choice to create the right way to respond to a given circumstance, your destiny changes. And um, yeah, so your destiny changes. And we, we have an opportunity really to ultimately shape, we have a role to play in what we will be before we're done. Uh, not 100%. I mean, there's some things that are already kind of mixed up in fate and those kinds of things, but we have a role to play. And we should never forget that that role, we take, we take, we take our, our seat in the driver of that role by making small decisions. Mm-hmm. And by, you know, making right decisions about what not to do as well as what to do, and who are our friends and who are not our friends and how often we sit still, and whether we remember to 
you know, re-anchor to peace on a regular basis and take care of our nervous system and our bodies and our diets and all those kinds. Mm. And it really, it, it adds up. We are, we are the sum of our choices. Mm-hmm. I love this conversation. I feel like I could ask you questions for another hour, but we will wrap this up. I just okay. wanted to come back to um, you mentioning when we were talking about Yoga Nidra, you talked about a book and a little bird told me you were writing a new book. Do you want to mention something about that and when it's coming and what's hap- what, what is it about? Yeah. A bit more? Well, we're, right now, um, I'm hoping that this podcast will be available before the book comes out because the book's not going to be here for about another year. Mm-hmm. Uh, my due date is this August and... Uh, August 2020, and it'll be available in the late spring of 2021. Uh, the book's called Enlightened Sleep. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned some alarming statistics about sleep and the pandemic of, of insomnia and those things and anxiety and depression. And, uh, you know, the reach of Yoga Nidra slash Enlightened Sleep, as I was taught it, is really significant. It has a healing component. It has a a cognitive component, it has um, a spiritual component, and it has an empowerment component to it. So I'm trying to uh, wrestle all of those cats into the book, and, if, and uh, my intention is to provide uh, people an understanding and then the practices that, that speak to that, and, and also try and further the conversation around yoga nidra, which a lot of people mm, are under the impression is kind of a nice way to nap. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, publisher will be sounds true, and um, uh, I'm excited to. Great! I'm happy really we managed to talk about yogic slip a little bit. I didn't even know the yeah. book was about that. Hooray! Anything yeah. else you want to add before we finish? Is there something you wanted to drill on, or you want to leave? No, not really. We've covered, we, we've covered the important things. I would just, you know, ask people and remind people to tell them that peace, peace is never guaranteed but it's something that we can always access and that we're responsible. You and I, we are responsible for our own claiming of peace and in the world that most of us live in. um, And, you know, technology hasn't made it any easier, but it's almost like peace is the last thing that we can find. We can find a lot of other craziness. So what I do is I just really want to encourage people to make that a part of their life. And from that, all abundance can come if we have peace of mind. And, uh, you know, so that's what I would just, I would just bring that home. And whatever methodology they use if, and, uh, you know, consider my stuff a, a resource to do that and it works great. But the, not only will you be happier, but the world I live in will be a better place if we each take responsibility for um, hooking into um, and remembering uh, a peaceful nature that we all possess absolutely i'll put all your info in the show notes obviously but in the meantime what's the best place for people to find you if they want to study with you they want to get the app they want to ask you more questions yeah the app sanctuary is on in the google play and it's in apple store that would be a really easy access point and that even the app connects them to our website rodstriker.com or parayoga.com they can get all the resources there. There's online trainings, and online yoga classes, and meditation. So it won't. It's a quick Google search to find all those other all those other resources. Perfect. Um, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity to speak with you. And thank you and- so much. This was truly a pleasure. It's really 
the things I love to talk about. <laughs> Great, Eric. I can tell you, you have a passion for it. Fantastic. Thank you. All right, dear. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen. And if you wanted to continue, please don't forget, visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat to donate or become a premium member and get your hands on our exclusive content. Check out the show notes to find more info about our guests of today, Rod Stryker, or my top five biggest takeaways from this episode. Before we go, just a last thank you to Alexander Saba working in the background, music, edits, and mastering. Once again, thank you guys for listening. Until next time.